Good to be back. Our God reigns. Amen. I just felt in my spirit as we were singing that, that some of us, myself included, maybe need to sing that over ourselves throughout our week and not just on Sunday. You know, life isn't always easy, but he's always on the throne and he's always in control. So when we sing that over ourselves, we're reminded that he's in control, and we get ourselves into a right perspective. And I know, I don't know about you, but I need to oftentimes get myself into a right perspective because a lot of times the world has a way of knocking my perspective off course. Okay? So just give that to you. Uh, We're going to go to Matthew chapter 25 today. And um, God's just been putting a uh, passage on my heart for the last few weeks while I've been away. And um, I think it's going to encourage us and inspire us and, and bless us and challenge us as well, probably. So Matthew 25, verse 31 to 46, I'm going to read it. You can follow on the screen or you can read it in your Bible. Here we go. Matthew 25, verse 31 to 46. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, Then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in, or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it, To one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Then he will also say to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, you gave me no drink. And I was a stranger, you did not take me in. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick, and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they will also answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty? or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister to you. And then he will answer them, saying, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Yeah, Heavenly Father, we just thank you that your word is true. God, we thank you that there's coming a day where you will make every wrong thing right. And Father, we want to be those who are found on the right side of your judgment, God. And we want to be those who are living lives filled with compassion. And Lord, this morning we just ask that you'd help us to have our eyes open and our ears open to to hear your word and to see it and understand it, that it would produce much fruit in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. 
Right, this uh, is a pretty amazing picture that Jesus paints for us. And it's actually um, this teaching that Jesus gave on the end times and his second coming was given four days before his death. Okay? Starts in Matthew 24 where he starts talking about the signs of the times. He starts talking about all the circumstances, the global situations that are going to take place right before he comes back. And then he culminates that in, in Matthew 25 with what it's going to look like when he actually does come back. And the condition of people, the condition of their hearts, the condition of their preparation when he returns. So I would encourage you and myself to study these two chapters. Because first of all, it's really relevant to today. Uh, again, I don't know if we all agree on where, it's, where, where we are in God's timeline, but I believe, you know, we're in the early days of that last generation that's going to see him return. There's a lot of things that need to happen first. The Bible is clear about that. But we also understand and see that a lot of things are happening, and it's accelerating very quickly. Um, but also, anytime someone's about to die, they choose their words very carefully, don't they? Now, Jesus always chose his words carefully, which is amazing thing about Jesus. Everything that he said was significant and relevant and prophetic for us in our lives right now. Um, but even so, when he knew that he was going to the cross four days later, within that week, there's an urgency that comes upon someone who's going to die to say, I need to say what I need to say before I go. And that's why I believe we need to take special interest in this teaching of Jesus. And uh, it's interesting because in Matthew 25, this, this chapter that we're, we're focusing on, we're focusing on the end, but in the first part of the chapter, he gives two parables that precede this parable or picture. It's the parable of the ten virgins where five virgins were prepared and five virgins weren't prepared, and the five that were prepared got to come into the wedding feast, and the five that weren't were excluded. Then it's the parable after that about the talents and how Jesus gave certain talents to servants. There were three servants, and he came back. He went away for a long time and came back, and he rewarded the servants that had been responsible with their talents, but he, he uh, punished the servant that had not been responsible. Okay? And it's, it's heavy stuff. Like, I read it, and I think, man, Lord, help me to be prepared. Help me to be ready. Then he gets to this final part of his teaching on the end times and his coming. And he says this, listen, every person on the face of the earth from all of history is going to be divided into two camps. Those on his right hand are going to be called blessed and they will be blessed for all eternity. Those who are on his left hand are going to be called cursed and they are going to be cursed for all eternity. And the one thing that Jesus looks, the, the one thing that he judges the peoples of the earth on is compassion. Now, there's many things as we read the word that we understand that he's looking for in a people, in a bride that's compatible with him. But in this instance, he focuses all his attention and wants us to focus our attention on compassion. Okay? Love for others. And I have a title here, Love That Moves. 
And what that means is this. I looked up the definition of love and compassion, and basically the, the, the definition in Webster's Dictionary is a feeling or a mindset or something internal, right? But here's what I want to say this morning. If compassion and if love never moves outside of here, it's not worth much to you or to anybody else or to Jesus, because in James chapter 2, the Lord you know, speaks through James and says, faith without works is dead. And so we want to be those people that have the two counterparts working together so that we can be entering into the fullness of what God has for us. And not only that, but he's coming back for those who, who, who their compassion was active. You know, they did things. They didn't just think and feel things. And I want to be a person that does things. And I tell you what, I think most of the reason why a lot of Christians are bored with their faith is because they're not doing stuff. You know, they're not doing things. They're just kind of hoping that God will, like, hit them with a bolt of lightning, and they'll all of a sudden feel the presence of God. But we've got to do stuff and obey his word. And as we do that, it ignites our heart, and we feel alive. And we feel the power and the presence of God. And when you're evangelizing on the street, it's nerve-wracking, and you feel weak, and you're like, I don't have the words, I'm not really gifted at this. Well, I'll tell you what, you ain't bored. You're excited about the next thing that's going to happen. You don't know what else is going to happen. And um, I find it difficult personally, but I do also uh, know that God's called me to do stuff that I'm not comfortable doing. And I want to encourage you with that this morning, you know. It's not all about us uh, just being comfortable. It's about us being the hands and the feet. And so I just want you to, to know that God wants that compassion in our hearts. And I believe all of us have a, 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 a compassion in our hearts for people. But that compassion is to translate into, into actions and, and how we reach out to them. Um, each of us has a calling on our life. You've probably heard this many times. But, um, and I've heard it many times. We all have, God has a plan for each of our lives. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I tend to get stressed out about that sometimes. Like, especially in my past, I've really gotten anxious about what is God's plan for my life? What is God's will for my life? What am I supposed to do with, right now? <laughs> or actually, it's more about, like, what am I supposed to do, like, 10 years from now? Where am I supposed to be? Like, you know, who am I supposed to marry? How am I supposed to do ministry? What's it going to look like? All these different things. And it gets really stressful. But I want to just simplify it for us this morning and for myself. And something that I've learned is God, Matthew 6, is kind of my life verse, I would think. It says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and everything else will be added unto you. I love the version that says everything else will be taken care of. As long as we just do that one thing first, which is just seek God and seek his kingdom. And I don't, sometimes it's hard to find the will of God, but I'll tell you how, how to miss the will of God. This is how you miss the will of God. To miss the will of God, you focus on what God wants for your life so much that you miss what he has for you right now. You're so focused and overwhelmed by the big picture of who I'm going to be, what my ministry is going to be, what my family is going to look like, that you never think about just being who God wants you to be today and tomorrow. And when you miss what God wants you to be today and tomorrow and sooner or later, it's a week and then it's two weeks, then it's a few months, then it's a year— Pretty soon, you're just missing God's will altogether for your life. 
because you're missing the here and now. And I'll tell you what God's will for us is today, is to be like Jesus. He wants us to be more and more like Jesus every day. That's why we got to be in the Word. That's why we got to be praying. That's why we got to be spending time with the right people, you know, because He wants us to be more like Jesus. And I really want to be more like Jesus. I want to leave this service today more like Jesus than I came in. And that's the goal, you know. If you come to church and you're like, oh, I just like being with people, that's cool because, yeah, it's about community. But it's more than that. It's about being like Jesus. Now, why, what, what does this have to do with compassion and, and being like Jesus? How does that relate to this whole compassion thing? Jesus is the most compassionate, loving person that ever lived and is still alive. And he wants us to be like that. There's never been anybody that was as loving. There's never been anybody that reached out as much as he did in the way that he did. And that is what God is calling us to do. Because his word says to walk just as he walked. And it's doable. It's possible by the grace of God. Okay? Um, And in this passage, God defines what true compassion and true love is. Uh, As we know, around the nations, we're talking about the second coming. And we're talking about the signs of the times. Around the nations, there's people defining love and redefining what love is. You know? But God is the only one that gets that privilege. Because he is the creator of all things. He's the one who knows what's best for you and me and everybody else on the planet. So he's the one that gets to define it. And in this passage, he defines the kind of compassion and the kind of love that he's coming back for. And the kind of compassion, the kind of love that you and I are going to be held accountable for. So it's really important that we get this. Okay? And... I'm just going to read it to you. It's so simple. Anybody can understand it. But when you actually try to work it out, it really takes the grace of God to do it. Okay? So it says this. Jesus said, when you see someone hungry, you feed them. When you see someone thirsty, you give them a drink. When you see someone who's a stranger, you welcome them into your life. That is a tough one. I'll just say that right now. We're going to get to it. When someone doesn't have clothes, you give them clothes. When someone's sick, you visit them. When someone's in prison, you go, you encourage them. You let them know they've got a friend. You let them know they're not forgotten. And I just got two verses to share with you. Proverbs 1 verse 3 says, Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due. When it is in your power to act. And then Galatians 6.10 says this, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. So here's my question for us this morning. Are we providers for the weak? Not just, are we, do we, not just do we have a compassionate heart, not just do we love them with emo, our emotions and goodwill, But do we actually take the role of a provider in in our relationships, in the lives of the people around us? Do we assume the role of a father? Do we assume the role of a mother? That's what a provider is, right? The greatest examples of a provider that I have besides the Lord are my mom and dad. I mean, they gave me stuff that I didn't, when I totally didn't deserve it. 
I mean, there were times I didn't deserve to be fed because of my attitude. They still gave me food. Some of you young people out there, you know what I'm talking about. You know, but we need to assume that role. A provider is a mom and a dad, okay? And I believe that God's calling us to be mothers and fathers. The problem is this. It takes a little while to become a mom and a dad. It takes a little experience, a little life. But I believe that's what God's calling all of us to. Whether you're young, young people in here, the youngest person in here, or the oldest person in here, We've got a responsibility to those in this place, which is really what Jesus is talking about right now, is our fellow believers, the people around us, our family in God. We got to provide for each other. We got to look out for each other. Amen? That's what Jesus is coming back and looking for. He's saying, hey, did you take care of each other? Did you help each other in very practical ways? Now, I know we need to help each other spiritually. That's, that's imperative for our growth and development as people. But Jesus is also saying, listen, you got to be practical lovers. you got to have compassion that moves, love that moves, hands and feet kind of stuff. You know, walk across the room to someone who looks like they're lonely and talk to them. Very basic. We all know it in our head, but when the situation presents itself, we think to ourselves, Ah, it's not really my ministry. I'm not really that good at it. I'm not a conversational person. So I'll kind of leave that to the people who are really good at it. That is just rubbish, man. We got to get past that stuff. All of us, myself included, we got to move out from that place of um, introspective and start thinking outward. I want to have compassion and love in my heart that is, mo- that is moving all the time, is active because I don't want to get bored as a Christian. I don't want to miss what God has for me. I don't want other people to miss what God has for them. So I'll just ask you this. Are, again, another question. Are you looking out for the well-being of your brothers and sisters here in the church? You know, look around the room this morning. These people are family. The interesting thing about families, you can't pick your family. Amen. You're born into a family, and you can't change it. Because believe me, if I could have changed my parents back when I was a teenager, I would have done it a few times. And I probably would have ended up in another situation where I'd be like, I don't like this either. I'll change that. You know what I mean? You get what you get, and you make it work. Yeah? And in this church, there are people that are going to rub us the wrong way. But you get what you get because God is, he reigns, he positions people, and we make it work by his grace. And we love each other by his grace because we are not like the people this world. Our love's got to be different. Our love's got to be so much greater than that. So when we see someone needy, we see someone within our family hurting, they might just annoyed us last week. They might have just really rubbed us the wrong way yesterday. They're still family. And we have a responsibility. And when Jesus comes back, he's going to say, wait a second. Why, Why didn't you provide? Why did you lay down the the mom and dad hat for a day? Listen, mom and dad don't lay down the hat. They keep going. They're hard working all the time. They're always looking out for their kids. And uh, I know God does that for us. And that's what we uh, need to start doing, really. Man, you got to start doing this. We got to start doing this for each other, you know, being providers. 
Um, the interesting thing about that, uh, being a provider, it's a costly thing. My mom and dad probably spent, I mean, I know they spent, not probably, they spent thousands and thousands of dollars on me throughout my upbringing. I mean, your young people in here, your parents have spent thousands and thousands of pounds. I'm talking a lot of money on you and your food. Some of you guys eat a lot more than others. Uh, on your clothes, on, you know, like, it's an investment. Now, I'm not saying we need to spend thousands and thousands of pounds on each other. But what I'm saying is this. When we love people practically the way that God's calling us to love people, it will touch our finances. Yeah. It, it will touch our personal space, <laughs> which is really special to some of us. I will say that for myself. I love my personal space. And I love my, having my own time. And I think I've said that to many of you before. That's one of my things that God's given me grace to get through. And we all have got that thing that we struggle to give up. But um, it's, our Western mentality makes our Christianity difficult. Because we are selfish. Right? We, we are. Like... We are really focused on our, our own stuff and our own things. And really, what God's trying to break in us is that the stuff we have is not ours anymore. Because we are now His prized purchased possession, which means all of our possessions are actually His possessions. And I want to be so yielded to the Lord. I'm not there yet. And I'm sure many of us want this, but we're not there yet. To be in a place where I'm yielded enough that whenever God says give, I can give it. However much he says give, I can give it because I know that he reigns, that he, ha he owns a kettle on a thousand hills. He, oh, he has so much at his disposal. He can fill up my need again, even if I give out of my need. And that's another thing. Each one of us has a different capacity to give, right? Some of us just have more stuff than others. I'll give you an example. I live in Adrian's house right now. I don't have my own home. I've got to be sensitive to his needs when I just randomly invite 20 young people over. <laughs> Nine o'clock at night, they're trying to go to bed. Uh, I can't just do that. I wish I could sometimes. But the reality is that my capacity is a little bit limited. I'm not moaning about it. I'm not giving you a sob story. That's just the way it is. And each one of us has a different capacity in our life to love people practically. But we will be held accountable on what we have. Jesus isn't going to compare us to somebody else. He's not going to compare me to someone who has a house. He's going to say, wait a second, what did you have and how did you use it? And I want to use what I have well for his kingdom. I want to use what I have for his glory and not be a hoarder of God's goodness. Yeah? And I believe at times Christians can be hoarders of God's goodness. Let me give you an example here. And not just Christians, obviously, a lot of people. You know, people who aren't, don't know the Lord but have a lot of stuff are blessed, even though they don't know Jesus. He's still the giver of good things. Okay? Ever heard the phrase, a man's home is his castle? I think that's an English. I've, I know it is. I researched it. But it's, in, it's, it's from the English uh, history. I think it dates back to the 1600s, centuries ago. It's a phrase that's been around uh, for a long time in this, in this part of the world. And a man's home is, ca is his castle. Um, 
And a part of me likes that because, like, we love going home after a long day and just having our place and our space. And I'll tell you what, that's important. I'm not trying to, like, condemn people for having their own space here. What I am trying to do is get you to think about how you can use that space to love people. The problem with a castle is it's got walls and a moat around it filled with dangerous stuff to keep people out and archers and defenses up. Now, I just believe this, that oftentimes our personal space can be kind of like that. God's calling us to when we see a stranger to welcome them in to our life, to invite them into our homes, to be very open about those things. But a lot of times our Western mentality, we've got a protectiveness about our, our personal space, like I was saying with my life. And, and a lot of times we're kind of like, we've got all our defenses up like that, like a real castle, really. Um, and that's not a godly attitude, really. I know it's like a historical point of view, but how many of you know history doesn't mean it's God's word just because people have said it for centuries and centuries. And I believe that there's a part of it that's true, but there's a part of it that's messed us up in the way that we love people because we're very selective about who we bring into our castle. And we sometimes only bring our friends into our castle. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. And I'm guilty of that. And I've been very challenged as I've read this, say, whoa, 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 how am I using my personal space? Is it a fortress that only certain people can get inside? Or is it a place where the needy can find refuge? Yeah. I like that part of a castle. That's cool. But the other part, only some people get in, some people don't. Depends on if we like, I like you or not. Like, that's just, that's a, that's a flesh. That's my flesh. That's my selfish desires getting in the way. Maybe you can relate to that. But um, the other, the, the, the worst thing, maybe, they're both pretty bad, but the worst thing is when our church becomes like that. When our church becomes like a castle that has barriers and borders up and people struggle to get inside. Not just the building, but the community. Yeah? Because it really is like we really need each other to do this Christian thing, I'll tell you. There's times, there's seasons where we don't have anybody and we really, I've been in a place where I didn't have really many friends and I was really trying to do it alone. And you can do it alone, but it's a lot harder. Man, and when you have people around you who love Jesus and are pushing you, inspiring you, and I look around and see, you know, people from different generations pursuing God, it encourages me to keep going. But sometimes our defenses as a church are up because we like our church the way it is. And I know for myself, I've experienced this, there was a time when I was growing up in my church where some, some people who didn't know Jesus came in to a service, and they were acting out. Surprise, surprise. They don't know Jesus. They don't know what church is. They're just trying to figure out what in the world's going on. And I got all offended. And I was thinking to myself, these people, can't they see we're reading God's word? Can't they see we're praying? They didn't even know what that stuff was. Yeah. And I had to check myself, and the Holy Spirit had to check me. And that was just a self-righteous attitude. The church, we need to have an open door for people to come in. We have to have grace for people. Now, we don't want them to stay that way for years and, and even, you know, but we want, and we want to see them grow. But we've got to have a place where they can come. I don't want my defenses to be up so much, you know. And as a church, I just encourage all of us to examine ourselves are we viewing our church as a place that we want to 
protect and keep the way it is? Or do we want people to be able to come in and receive the joy that we've received, to experience the life that we've experienced? Yeah, Some of us are here today because there were no... Uh, there, was, there wasn't a, a wall around a church. People invited us in and welcomed us in. Some of us are here today where we are in God today because people made us welcome. We were a stranger and they welcomed us in. So I'll just stop there because that point is, I've hit it pretty hard, but don't be a hoarder of God's goodness in your home, in your church. In, in this place, let's, let, let Liberty Church be a castle where people can find refuge, not a castle where only certain people are invited. And everybody else is like fought out the door. <laughs> and there's arrows and stuff flying around. This, this isn't supposed to be a battlefield, right? <laughs> I'm not saying it is. I'm just saying we don't want it to be. Amen. All right. The, the glorious thing about this passage, and I'm going to wind it down here. The glorious thing about when we love people practically. Now, again, it's not just about opening our homes to people. It's not just about opening our church to people. It's about f- giving people food when they need it. It's whenever we see a need, we take responsibility for that need, and we do what we can. We might not be able to, to, to bring total healing because of our capacity, but we might be able to bring a little bit of healing, and that's important to Jesus. And again, we'll be held responsible for that on that final day. But the glory of this kind of compassion, the glory of this kind of practical love towards people within our church, within our fellowship, within our community of believers is this. When we reach out to people, Jesus says we reach out to him. I think that's awesome. Jesus takes it so seriously, our compassion to each other and our love towards each other. He says, when you give clothes to someone who doesn't have clothes, I take it unto myself as love. It's that big of a deal to me. It's that significant to me that I take it to myself. It's personal. Jesus takes it personally when you and I give. When we give a cup of cold water to someone who's thirsty, Jesus says, That is so small in your eyes, but that is so big in my eyes. I take it personal. And I know this is the case just by reading this passage, but by reading other portions of Scripture, that there's going to be so many things that we are going to be honored for in heaven that we don't even remember we did. Some of the things that we thought were so small and so insignificant, like I said before, talking about evangelism, we go on the streets to evangelize, we're fumbling over our words, we're like, yeah, Jesus, you know, there's a God who loves you, we sound like, we, in our own minds, we sound like a fool. In our own minds, we sound like we're all jumbled. We don't feel like we have that charisma, we don't feel like we have that flow that's really going to impact people. Jesus sees those little things, and he's able to take those little things and produce much fruit. Because he's a supernatural God. He's able to take little things and make big things out of it. But we, in our humanness, think certain things are insignificant. I want to tell you something. When you go and speak to someone who's brand new in your church, who looks lonely, maybe they don't even look lonely, they're just new, God sees that. And I believe there's going to be a reward for those things. And that's exciting. That we can be, we don't do it for the treasure. We don't just... We love people because we're going to get rewarded. 
that's not the heart behind what Jesus is talking about. But that's a beautiful benefit. And that's, a, that's an exciting thing, that we can love Jesus by loving each other. As soon as I'm done preaching, and as soon as you start interacting with each other, you can start honoring Jesus and, and, and storing up treasure in heaven by the conversations that you have. That's awesome. That's powerful. That makes me want to speak more life. That makes me want to be more, choose my words a little more carefully, kind of like Jesus. In, as opposed to maybe being somebody who, yeah, tends to look at the negative, tends to look at the things that aren't going right, tends to look at the, peop- the things in people's lives that aren't going right. Yeah, there's a lot of that stuff, but there's a lot of good. There's a lot of great things. And Jesus wants us to be the kind of people. He's looking. He's listening, you know. He's li- you know, Jesus listens to our smallest conversations. Man, if I thought about that all the time, I would talk a lot differently most of the time, you know. But he is. He's interested. And not only that, he's a rewarder of the small things. Yeah, because these righteous people said, what are you talking about? We never fed you. We never did this. We never did that. And Jesus said, yeah, you did. You don't remember it. I do. That's powerful stuff, man. That's really powerful. Right. I'm just going to skip to the end. The last, uh, I have one more passage to read you, but I just want to uh, say this. All that stuff that I've been saying... And read it yourself, go over it. The Holy Spirit will speak to you through his word as, and maybe encourage you to give in a certain way. But as we're reading this, Jesus is talking. He says, if you've done it to the least of these, my brethren, he's talking about the community of faith, the community of believers, okay? Does that mean that we are somehow exempt from reaching out to those outside of the community of believers? Because sometimes we can read it that way and be like, oh, cool, Jesus just says, those who are my brethren, awesome. I can just connect with Christians. I can just love Christians. Great. And we just forget about the unsaved people around us that we're interacting with every day. Um, The reality is this. Some of us um, are really good at loving Christians and really bad at loving non-Christians. And some of us are really bad are really good at loving non-Christians and really bad at loving Christians. But Jesus says, I'm looking for both. If you look from Genesis to Revelation throughout the Bible, you will see that God's heart is not only for his people, but he does have a heart for those outside. He's got a special place in his heart for those who love him, as any father does for his own child. But he's also got a special place in his heart for those who are outside of the community of faith. So that's one reason why you need to read the whole Bible. <laughs> yeah, because if you just read that, this passage, you'll be like, oh, cool, I'll just relate to Christians. I'll just interact with them. Because you've missed all the other things that Jesus said, encouraging us outward. I'm going to read a verse to you. First John 4, 7 to 11. And I am finishing right now, just so you know. First John 4, 7 to 11. I don't have it on the screen, so if you want to turn there, you can go ahead. This passage is so awesome and so uh, beautiful. It's like, it's like poetry when you read it. You're just like, man, it's great. 1 John 4, 7 to 11. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. Verse 9, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. 
And this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. If you ever have a question about whether or not you should reach out to people outside of the community of faith, all you got to think about is Jesus. It says, and we heard it this morning, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That means when we were enemies, we were totally against him. We were totally anti-Christ. He still loved us. He still reached out to us. He still clothed us. He still fed us with the bread of life and so much more than just the bread of life. And so we've got this responsibility. And uh, as I've been preparing this word, I've been so challenged that what am I, is my love a moving love? Or is my love static? Is my love an emotional feeling? Is my compassion an emotional thing in, on the inside that doesn't bear fruit on the outside? And maybe you can ask those questions to yourself. And if it's not moving, God's saying this morning to all of us, it's time to start moving. It's time to start going. It's time to stop just feeling and actually get that feeling into your hands and your feet and start walking around and doing good. You know, we're supposed to release the fragrance of Christ, it says. And I was just thinking as I was preparing, how do we release the fragrance of Christ? We walk around and we release it, you know. We, we, we go from place to place and, and people see and smell this fragrance of, of love and, 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 and effort that we're putting into their lives. But we can also release a fragrance of death. And how we do that is this. We have faith without works. Because a person with faith who doesn't move around doesn't release a fragrance of life. The Bible says it's death. And I don't want to be releasing the fragrance of death just because I've got a great faith. I believe in God, but I'm not doing anything with it. Yeah. So let's just try to be, by God's grace, a community that loves each other. And is always looking for opportunities to provide for each other. Yeah. Because I tell you what, when we're that kind of community, nobody wants to leave. And everybody wants to get into that kind of community. Wherever you are. I'm not saying everybody should come to this church. I'm not saying it's God's will that Liberty Church would be the biggest church in the community. I'm just saying people want to be here if there's love here. And if people are looking out for each other and supporting each other. And we all have a part to play in that. Every single one of us. And that's just an exciting opportunity for all of us. I'm just going to pray for us, okay? Is that okay? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that it challenges us. It encourages us. It helps us to see things with a new perspective. And Father, I just pray this morning, God, that we would not just be hearers of your word, but that we would be doers. Father, that we would be hearers and doers. That we would be those with faith and with works. Or that we would not jump to one or the other extreme. But we would be those who are balanced according to your word. And walking according to your word. Father, I thank you that you loved us and you reached out to us before we deserved it. And Father, I pray that that same grace and that same spirit would be in us. To love each other and have compassion that gets the job done in people's lives. In Jesus' name.
Amen. There is freedom Where the Spirit of the Lord is There is freedom If you're tired of Everybody say it. 